Welcome back to our High Five, where we're highlighting five awesome things that are happening in the life of our church. So let's jump into it. Up at number five, we're celebrating Jennifer and what God is doing in her life. This past Thursday night, she attended our Bedford Outpost, where she decided to respond to what God was calling her to do and be baptized. It was a beautiful celebration of her faith in Jesus. Way to go, Jennifer. This high five goes out to you today. In at number four, this past week, our Manchester and Bedford students threw a pond party where they swam, played games, and had a bonfire complete with s'mores. High five, you guys, to more times like this. If you're a student who wants to join in on the fun, visit church.one slash events to join in on the next one. Here at number three, each year in Franklin, New Hampshire, the community celebrates students by hosting their annual class day parade down Central Street. You know, at one point in time, many towns in America did this, but Franklin, New Hampshire is the only one that still celebrates in this way. So you best be sure that our Franklin Outpost was there to share God's love with food. They passed out over 350 Chick-fil-A sandwiches to families and students. So high five, Franklin, to sharing God's love with your community. Up at number two, our Wise and Wonderful group met for their third gathering this past Tuesday. This group aims to provide people 55 and up a place to build community, grow in faith, and encourage one another. This month, they partnered with our Manchester and Bedford students to bring in goods for Meals on Wheels. The students were able to take what they brought and put lunch bags together for our under-resourced friends in the area. High five to all you guys. Our Wise and Wonderful group meets monthly at our Manchester Outpost, so visit church.one slash groups to check it out and join in on the next one. And finally, up at number one, our Manchester Outpost is celebrating seven baptisms this past Sunday. High five to Victor, Ryan, Oliver, Natalia, David, Chantel, and John. We're so excited for how God will continue to work in and through you. Thanks for joining us for our high five, and I can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one. Many good stories, maybe stories that we tell very often, start with the simple phrase, once upon a time. I feel like when I was a kid and my, my dad would, would start in on these stories or anyone that's telling you a story, start with the phrase, once upon a time, you are in for a good story. So today, we're going to start off with that phrase, once upon a time, and then it's going to take a little unexpected turn from there. So once upon a time, a man prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain in the land for three years. Ooh, anticipation. <laughs> So why? That, and that's so weird. Once upon a time, a man prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain in the land for three years. Why would someone pray this? Why would someone pray this somewhat odd and maybe somewhat terrifying prayer? Why would the prophet Elijah, who we're looking at today in our story, pray this prayer? And it's because at the time, there was a king in Israel named Ahab. And Ahab was up to no good. It is described that Ahab did more to anger and provoke God than any of the other kings that came before him. And on top of that, Ahab married this individual named Jezebel. Now she was a go-getter. And the two of them 
were up to a lot of stuff, but the main thing that they did is they worshiped false gods. Their main god, their big god, the one that was over a lot, very powerful in their eyes, was the god Baal. God, Baal was the god over rain, storms, and childbirth, which may give insight into what the Israelites at the time thought about their kids. Like, I don't know if there was some meeting. They're like, oh, we got to double up on these gods. We got Baal, the god of storms and rain. What should he also be the god over? Kids. Oh, my gosh. They're the worst. Yep, storms, kids. Baal, kids. Perfect. But what we're seeing is that to them, Baal was very important. Saw them as the giver of life. Through rain, they, they entrusted Baal to uh, water their crops, to keep their livestock alive, to also then bring life into the world as well. So Baal was a pretty big deal. The issue is, and why Elijah prayed this prayer, is because God, the true God, Yahweh, the actual God over all things, including rain and storms and life, see, he's in the business of revealing who he is to his people. He wants the Israelites to know him and to see him as the one and only true God. So what he's gonna do is he's gonna take power away from these false gods and show them that their power isn't actually there. And we might think that it's kind of silly that these false gods, that you would put their faith in these false gods. And we have false gods today that we might think as of a little silly, if it were. So you have the God, the, the almighty dollar, Right? The God that just kind of takes and takes and takes and doesn't really care much about us. We then also have the God of the corner office, looking for other people's approval, wanting praise and seeking affirmation from others around us. And then we have the God that's very big in this region, the God of the New England Patriots, who I think we can admit has let down people in this region, especially of late time and time and time again. It's silly. We might think that's silly, but why do people fall into following these false gods. It's because people are looking for something that is outside of themselves. They're looking for an identity in a, in a higher power and being more. So that's why people follow these false gods and that is why the Israelites were doing this. They were seeking out a higher power that was beyond them, finding their identity in something else that wasn't God. So once upon a time, a man prayed that it wouldn't rain and didn't reign in the land for three years. Now that is gonna cause some problems. Three years without rains is gonna cause some problems. Now why is God doing that? It's because he is trying to reveal who he is to the people of Israel. He wants them to know that he is the true God and that they can exist in his grace. His grace that is transformative, his grace that we can find a massive hope in, his grace that is transforming and redeeming our story in him. And that brings up what we're looking at with our memory verse for this series, Bedtime Stories, where we're looking at these kind of odd stories throughout the Old Testament. And our memory verse is in Psalm chapter 107, verse two. We're gonna go through trying to memorize this verse throughout the rest of the series. So would you read it with me? It's on the screen behind me. Here we go. Loud, ready, cutting through the heat. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story, those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. I love that because who is redeeming us? It says him, God, those he redeemed 
from the hand of the foe. If we're trying to follow along in anything else and put our identity in anything else, that story is, isn't going to last very long. That story isn't going to be transformative like the story of God's grace is transformative in our lives. But when we let God take control over the narrative, take control of the story, then there is massive amounts of transformation and redemption that can take place in his grace. And the only way that that's going to happen, though, is if we allow him to be the narrator of our life. Not just the narrator, but shape the narrative. The one that is in control, almighty. The only way that we're going to give up control is if we listen to what he is saying, what he is calling us into as well. So with looking at the story of Elijah and, and this prayer that he prayed, what we're going to see right off the bat is when God calls, step into the moment. When God calls, step into the moment. This story of redemption through the power of God, it's a fantastic story. It's a big deal type of story. So when God calls, let's be ready to step into the moment. So we are in 1 Kings chapter 17 today, looking at this prophet Elijah, who is going to confront this nasty king Ahab that we talked about. So here we go, jumping into the story. Every week, I almost forget. Here we go. Reading the story. Chapter 17 says this, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. All right. Fun thing that happens right at the start. This is the first time that we see Elijah come up in the Bible. So this guy kind of comes out of nowhere and immediately throws down in front of King Ahab, like, yo, it ain't going to rain unless it's at my word, which puts Ahab into a predicament on a couple levels. First, it puts him into a sticky situation because he's in charge. And often when things go wrong, who do people tend to blame? the person in charge, right? So Ahab has his name on the line here, not only his name, but then he also has Baal's name on the line as well because Elijah is questioning this rain here. He's putting the God of rain on alert, right? He's challenging him right here. So then if people start to see, well, it's not raining, and this guy Elijah said it's going to be, unless it's his word that's going to rain, but I thought Baal was in charge of it. Wait a minute, is Baal not real? Is Baal not all that powerful? So he's got a lot to lose here. And in, in addition to that, not only does Ahab have a lot to lose, but Elijah's not getting away here that easily either. Because he puts in that stipulation, except at my word. Now, as king, Ahab probably has some resources at his disposal. So I believe that it has crossed Elijah's mind that, oh, wow, if this king finds me and uh, sort of forces me, wants to force me to bring the rain back, that's something that he could try to do. He could try to coax it out of Elijah, maybe through whatever means necessary. So Elijah's putting himself in danger here as well, but he still knew that. He knew that and still he stepped into the moment that God was calling him into. God's not done 
with fulfilling his mission here on earth. With this series that we're going through, I don't want to just leave it in the past of like, well, this is what was happening in the Old Testament. God's done in his mission. No, he's still very much working in the world around us, in our households, in our workplaces, in our community as well. So what is God calling you into to show people the transformative power of God's redemptive story of grace? What moment is God calling you into in your households, in your workplaces, in your community? What moment is God calling you into with an individual, with your ones, to share his love of good news and sharing that good news in a good news way? It can be scary. We might think that it's hard to navigate. But when we give way to stepping into the moment when God calls us, what we are doing is we are making God the leader of our story, the one creating the narrative of what our story entails. If we don't step into that moment, what we're doing instead is we're the ones in charge. We're the ones that are trying to pursue and make our own story. And I don't know if you're like me, but every time I try to make me the controller of my story, things don't go well. But instead, let's step into the moments that God is calling us into. And why can we do that? I'm not, I'm not asking you to just follow blindly. You see, the Lord is Lord overall, and Elijah lays that out for us. In this moment that he's stepping into, he's laying out the characteristics of God, his Lord, who he serves. In this verse, he says, the Lord. This is Elijah's God, the Lord, Lord over all things, Lord over all these, these different aspects of life that the people of Israel have put false gods in place of the real God. He is Lord, Lord over all, the almighty God. He is the God of Israel, proving that he has been faithful to the people of Israel time and time again. He has withstood the test of time and is seen to be true. He is the God who lives. Fun fact about these gods that the Israelites were worshiping is uh, some of them would die for a season, which is kind of weird. So they believed that the god Baal would die and give way to the god Mot, who was the god of death. So Mot was in control during the dry seasons, and then when the rain came back, they're like, never mind, Baal's back, we're good, we're good, Baal's alive. But he's saying that he serves the god who lives. The God that's always there, even when our once upon a time start to look a little dark and we're going into valleys, that God is always there. And Elijah says, whom I serve. Elijah not being in control, not trying to be the one in charge of his story, but instead giving way to God. Because when God called, he stepped into the moment. And what we're gonna see in the next chapter of this story is that when God calls, take him at his word. That's what Elijah's gonna do next. When God calls, take him at his word. We can fall into this idea where, all right, we're gonna listen to God. God, you're calling me into this, fine, you win, I'll do it, but we're gonna go about things my way. All right, you brought me here, but I got it from here because we wanna be in control. We wanna make sure that we have all of our bases covered. But no, instead, let's take God at his word, knowing that he provides and that he has things covered for us and he is providing all that we need. 
we're gonna see that he provides all that Elijah needs next here, starting in verse two. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he drank from the brook. Once upon a time, a man prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain in the land for three years. And then that same guy ate some bird food. <laughs> That's the next chapter of this story. But right off the bat, Elijah follows three commands that the Lord gives him. He says to leave, to turn, and to hide. And there's no second guessing, no questioning. Elijah steps right into this and takes God at his word, not instilling his will, but instead following the will of God. And I don't believe that Elijah was sort of bamboozled here, thinking like, all right, God, I'm gonna follow your will whatever moment you're calling me into, but then surely you're gonna have something really nice for me set up, maybe with some air conditioning and some nice charcuterie boards or anything like that. No, see, Elijah was a man of the wilderness. Uh, later on in the story of Elijah, he has to confront another king that is going against the will of God. And this king sends out messengers to greet Elijah. And Elijah says, uh, you know, hey, if your, your king doesn't turn things around, then he's going to die. And uh, the messengers go back to the king and say this. And the king was still unsure whether or not it was Elijah. So he says, what did this guy look like that gave you this warning? And they said, well, he wore a garment made out of hair and a leather belt fashioned around his waist. And immediately, without hesitation, the king says, it is Elijah the Tishbite. Like this guy was known for being a little bit, you know, grungy look, right? There was no one else that could fit that description. So Elijah was a man of the wilderness. He knew what he was getting into. He knew that this area was known for not having any food or any ability to sustain life, but still he followed God's will. And he took him at his word and he went out to this ravine to wait out Ahab to survive out there. And God's providing for him with food brought to him by ravens. Now, what was the state of this food? Well, most likely it was bread that was stolen, right? Like the birds found this bread. Like there's elves that make cookies and trees. So maybe there's ravens that make bread. I do not know. But so they have that bread and then also the meat that they were bringing, maybe it was fine, well-cooked steak, or it was the meat found off of the animals that were dying in the drought. Could be either way, but if it's that case, either way, the ravens are handling it and I don't think they're washing their talons, right, in between trips from the meat to Elijah. So it begs the question, where does raven meat fall on the list of meats, like the category of meats? And I came up with this. So, we have our tier one of meat that we come across on our weekly basis. The first is fridge meat, stuff we brought, bought this week, all right? We know where it came from, we remember buying it, it's right there, we're good to go. You got the chicken, you're ready to go. After that is freezer meat. Freezer meat is fridge meat that we didn't get to in time. All right, then what happens if we're out of fridge meat and freezer meat? Where do we go next? We go to pantry meat. 
okay? And pantry meat has some interesting options there. You got like Campbell's chili, that's fine. You got Chef Boyardee, mmm, canned pasta, right? And then you start going into beef jerky, right? Jack Link's pretty good, good option. Then we go into Slim Jims. We're starting to venture away from meat here a little bit. And then we go into Vienna sausage, which I don't know what that is, but any meat that has a suction cup sound to it when you pull it out, I don't know if I want to partake in that. And finally we land on spam. The thing that we named our junk folder after in our emails, that is what we're eating next. So Elijah is well past all these tiers, right? Here's spam, and then down here is what the ravens were most likely bringing him. But he followed God all the same, knowing that God was giving him all that he needed, but maybe not all that he wanted. And that can be a tight spot that we live in as well. We trust God to provide all that we need, but then there's things that we want. And what we can pray for, what we're working towards is that God is transforming our hearts so that what we want is also what he wants that our heart's desires lines up with the desires of our Lord. Elijah's showcasing that we can trust God. In this moment, he's trusting God's protection. Doesn't say he's not gonna face any troubles. He stepped into that moment confronting Ahab and God protected him, he knew that he would. Trusted God's promises as well. Promises that he would sustain Elijah. What we fall into sometimes is when we are hoping for things that God doesn't promise, and that's what leads to despair. Despair comes from misplaced hope or misplaced faith. So instead, if we just rely on what God does promise us, I know I just said just do it, it's hard to do, but when we rely on what God does indeed promise us, then our hope is based in His grace that hope that we know to be true, that comes from salvation in him. And then finally, we're trusting God's provision. He provided him water. He provided him bread and meat as well to sustain him in this time. So Elijah heard God's call and he stepped into the moment. And when God called, he took him at his word knowing that he would provide for him all that he needed. And then what happened is is the next step of when God calls, get ready for change. When we do the first two, that third one comes pretty naturally because we know that he is gonna sustain us through all these things. So when God calls, get ready for change. What worked for a season might not work forever, but we know that we can trust God in all those things. So to wrap up our story here with Elijah, to wrap up this chapter of of his many story, of his grand story ahead, it says this. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Elijah sees this chapter, if you will, of him in the ravine through to the very end. Remember, we're in a drought. So that water, that brook, maybe started as a crystal clear spring, but then it's not raining. 
and it's not raining, and it's picking up more sediment, and it's murkier and murkier until Elijah's most likely drinking something that's pretty close to mud. But that whole time, he's not just, sit, not just like, all right, God, you know, I can leave. Like, should I just leave? He's still trusting God through all of this until God gives him a new command, until God shows him what to do next because he's ready for change. There was so much greater in store for Elijah where God had him in this moment of valleys, in this moment where he's in this ravine, but God's gonna lead him next to Mount Carmel. In between there, he comes out and, and he finds this widow that God's talking about to provide for him. And God, through God, Elijah was able to uh, have this widow and her son survive the drought, being living with them. And then the son dies and Elijah brings him back to life. First account of resurrection in the Bible. He's there for that. The story doesn't stop there as well. God's going to use Elijah again. Elijah trusting in God so that when he is up at Mount Carmel and is sort of in battle with these 450 prophets of Baal, Elijah has been trusting in God the whole time. It's this standoff where the prophets of Baal and Elijah, they're going to decide, all right, who is the more powerful God, Baal or the God of Elijah? What they do to sort of test them is they build up these massive altars and they lay out sacrifices on it. And whichever God can burn up the altar first is the more powerful God. So Baal is up first for the test. And the prophets are wailing and they're beating themselves and they're crying out to Baal trying to get his attention. Elijah's kind of making fun of him like, hey, scream a little bit louder. Maybe he's asleep. I'm sure he'll hear you if you just keep on going. Obviously nothing happens. So then it's up. Elijah's up to bat. Proving that his God is the true God. And he says this, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. The altar at this point has been, water has been poured over it. It is soaked and he calls this out to God and the altar is burned up with the sacrifice, with the stones surrounding it, all the water that surrounds it and the soil itself, it says, is burned up. Showing that our God is the true God. Seeing the different chapters with Elijah here showcases how faith in God and trust in God is something that we can build upon one after the next. That we don't need to believe the lie that yeah, trust in God just isn't for me. I'd rather go about it my way. No, but when we put faith in God, the faith that we put in him today is gonna help grow the faith that we put in him tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. And it becomes easier to trust in him, not rely on our story, but instead be transformed by the redemption that he has for us that is founded in his grace. We can fall victim to thinking like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to do battle against any prophets of Baal or fill in whatever that it would equate to nowadays. But ask God, what are you calling me into right now? God, what are you calling me into to share your love with one person today? As the more that we put our faith 
and trust in him. Reflect on his grace, reflect on his glory. That's gonna change what our once upon a time looks like as well. We're able to take part in this story of redemption, of being transformed by God every time that we celebrate communion together, every time that we're putting our faith in him, accepting that this, his death, is for us. And because of that, we no longer need to be in control of our story and just sort of battle away and tire ourselves out, but instead say yes to the peace that's found in God. It says that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Have faith and trust in me. In the same way, he took the cup. He said, this is my new covenant, my promise for you in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me to the king. I often think of following God and his love, his transformative love in our lives. It's kind of like training for something that we're always building upon it. That the work that he does in our hearts is not just gonna happen suddenly. There are outward, our outward actions and how we interact with people isn't gonna be all of a sudden, but God's transforming us from the inside out. So continue to have faith in him continue to trust in him because his transformative power is so much greater than anything else that we can put our hope in. Sometimes we need encouragement to continue on in that walk of faith and that walk of trust. If you need prayer today or would like to pray for anything, for your ones, whatever it might be, I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you. See anyone with a name tag as well, they'd love to pray with you as well. We can encourage one another to walk within that faith. And today, if you're hearing this and you're tired of putting your faith in things that just keep letting you down, there's been turmoil, there's been pain, there's been heartache, and you're saying, I want in on this trust and faith in God, the Lord over all things, the Lord that provides all that we need. And you want to be baptized into the family of God. We have nice cold water right behind me. <laughs> and we'd love to celebrate the gift of baptism with you. But would you stand with me as we close out in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that in all things we can put our hope and our faith and our trust in you. And Lord, you will not let us down. Allow us to continue to work towards trusting you with all that we are and seeing you as the Lord Almighty, the one that has redeemed our story and made our story one of grace, of hope, and of peace. Thank you for this time together that we get to worship you and celebrate as this family of God. In your name we pray, amen.